0: Hey, hey, Spook Squad listeners, thank you so much to those of you who voted for this week's topic on Twitter. Uh, for those of you who don't follow me yet, you can follow me at Skinny Mean Dan and participate in future polls for future topics. Also, just want to quickly address for those of you who are looking to follow us on Apple Podcasts, we should be available in the next week or so. So sorry that's taking so long. But thank you to all of you who have given us kind feedback. Thank you for subscribing and tuning in. Enjoy this week's episode. <music> It's Spook Squad with Dan Hey, 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 Spook Squad listeners, thank you so much for tuning in to another week for another minisode with me. I am one half your host, my name is Dan, and y'all, I am so excited to get into this week's topic. We are going to be talking about extreme cinema, and you can count this episode as a little bit of a primer or maybe kind of like an introduction to extreme cinema, what it is, what makes it interesting, and what films kind of fall within that definition. And you could probably expect this to be a little bit of a running theme on the podcast. Actually, at least for these mini we're going to be coming back to these films and talking about them because this is something that I personally am fascinated by. I am attracted to this type of filmmaking. I pursue this type of storytelling, I think this type of imagery is extremely compelling, and I pursue alternative film experiences. So for me, this is something that I have a little bit of an extra fascination with. So I'm so excited to be diving into this today and talking a little bit more about what extreme cinema actually is, in my opinion. And the answer to that question actually ends up being a little bit more complicated than you might expect, because the term extreme cinema is itself actually somewhat new, only really kind of cropping up the beginning of the 21st century with the rise of some of these new French extremism films, as well as certain horror movements in Japan. Uh, Now what extreme cinema is ends up being complicated but i'm going to try and give it a broad overarching definition here which is cinema which makes explicit or provocative use of certain themes or imagery in order to provoke a reaction in the audience now, that's an extremely vague definition to start with, however, it's extremely vague on purpose because once we start getting to the specifics of what extreme cinema actually looks like in practice, we're going to find that the imagery used can be very different, the tone of the films can be very different, and also the reaction being provoked in the audience can be very, very different from film to film. However, a couple things I need to do before we move any further. First. I need to tell the more sensitive of our listeners that we are going to be getting into some intense territory here. Those aforementioned themes and imagery, uh, very often they are violent or sexual in nature, and we're going to be digging into it a bit here, so just be warned. Also, just really quick, want to shout out the That's Dark podcast for contributing to my definition of extreme cinema proper here, as well as just some of the research. Thanks, guys. Much appreciated. Uh, And with that, let's dive in here. We're going to start out by talking about extreme cinema traditional, as I kind of define it. Now, what does this mean? Well, essentially, if it walks like a film, it talks like a film, but it leaves you walking away from it like you need to take a shower or just something in your mind is different. Deeply disturbed, you may be watching traditional extreme cinema. In other words, traditional elements of plot and character development, they may still be present in this film. In addition to that, it may be directed in a way where you can mostly confuse it with another horror movie. It's pretty competent directing, with the exception of the fact that you feel fucking crazy right now, as if you just saw some shit you weren't supposed to see. Yeah extreme cinema. That's what we're talking about. Now, I-, I want to address some common misconceptions before we move any further with talking about traditional extreme cinema. Am I talking about Saw? Am I talking about Hostel? Am I talking about Human Centipede? No, no, and... Uh, kind of. Uh, these films, I feel, use elements of extreme cinema, but very much to the ends of traditional, more mainstream horror films. Now, Human Centipede is tricky because I feel like it really walks that line. I feel like it really wants to be extreme cinema, particularly the second installment in the series really, really walks close to that line. But when we start talking about the specific films, I think you'll understand why those films don't quite make the cut. All right, so let's get into some specifics here. And again, this is going to get intense, so... Buckle up. Uh, Also, light spoilers here, but I'm going to try and not ruin the spirit of these films. All right, so let's start out with a director that uses film techniques in order to create a traditional extreme cinema experience. In this instance, I think a perfect example is Gaspar Noir's Irreversible. A little bit about Gaspar Noir. He's a bit of a controversial French filmmaker, likes to push people's buttons kind of a la a Lars von Trier, if you will. Uh, Irreversible is arguably his most infamous film, in particular because it has, and I am not exaggerating, arguably the most devastating sexual assault scene in all of cinema history. And one of the reasons for that is because the scene I'm thinking of takes place in a 10 minute unbroken single take. It is truly an endurance test to sit through, not to mention Gaspar Noir's use of certain low musical tones designed to psychologically make the audience unease during this and other scenes in the film. This is very deliberate filmmaking, folks. This is designed specifically to evoke reactions of disgust and horror in terms of what you're seeing on the screen, and I would argue it's done in a way that is a cut above Above your Rob Zombies and other folks of the exploitation film Ilk. This is a degree. Different. So if you go further down the rabbit hole, you're gonna bump into films like a Serbian film, Sallow, 120 Days of Sodom, uh, I Spit on Your Grave, uh, Antichrist from Lars von Trier. And and by the way, me just rattling off these movies is a lot like being like, oh, if you listen to classic rock, maybe you'll listen to like Pink Floyd or Led Zeppelin or The Who. It's like these are like the heaviest, heavy hitters of extreme cinema, the ones that everyone knows. And we don't have time to get into every single one of them, but I am going to give you some small examples just to illustrate what makes these good examples of traditional extreme cinema. And I think a Serbian film is a really good place to start because as the That's Dark podcast said before me, it's kind of the granddaddy of extreme cinema. It's the one that everyone turns to when we're talking about this topic, and there's really good reasons for that. It's a very, very well-directed film with some of the most extreme imagery around that combines sexuality and violence to chilling effects to create a political portrait of Serbia. Now, some people might argue with you on that last point in particular, saying that this is just a shock film. I think there are value in both of those perspectives. However, I want you to note that this film is very deliberately titled a Serbian film. And one of the comments that the director has made commenting on, you know, what this film is about, he says that his opinion is that when you are born in Serbia, you are fucked from the day that you're born to the day that you die. Maybe that could help you fill in the blanks in terms of what happens in the film, but it centers around an aging porn star who kind of gets into this art film project that's supposed to be representative of what Serbia is, and it all goes downhill from there. Really don't want to spoil too much about this one because we're going to talk about it more in the future. Uh, And one more example is Lars von Trier's Antichrist, which I kind of view as a very good entry point for those uh, who are looking to get into what extreme cinema is. Lars von Trier's Antichrist is a beautiful beautifully directed film with one of the most unforgettable opening scenes in all of cinema. I'm talking slow motion. I'm talking black and white. I'm talking opera music in the background. I'm talking tragedy. It is a truly unforgettable opening. And later in this film, you will be bombarded with some of the most violent imagery you've seen in a while with everything from ejaculating blood to a chilling strangulation scene. Uh, It's a rough ride. I can't argue with you that it's not a rough ride. However, this film, perhaps a little bit more transparently than the others that we've mentioned, is very clearly metaphor for something else. It's very art housey, and the stuff that's occurring on the screen just seems to be indicative of something that's happening underneath the surface. Add into that the fact that there are really only two main characters, and we never really get their names. Even in the credits, they're just kind of referred to as he and she. And you can see there's just a lot to unpack here in terms of imagery and that detail about the lacking of names is going to transition us into our next type of extreme cinema which is extreme cinema proper. Now what I mean when I say this well remember how we were talking about with traditional extreme cinema you can kind of confuse it for a normal horror movie until like intense shit starts to happen you're like oh shit Uh, this it's kind of hard to make that confusion because traditional plot elements they're probably not going to be present in this. And characters or character development, that's going to be extremely limited in a film like this. Extreme cinema proper means this is going to be a visceral, mostly imagery-based experience. We're going to be telling a story mostly through the imagery here and Lacking the traditional elements of plot or characterization and focusing on very intense, probably violent or sexual imagery is what makes this experience extreme because it's immediately alternate from anything that you would encounter in mainstream cinema. Uh, harder to give examples of this type of stuff because you really kind of got to go looking for it. So this is usually when people don't know what I'm talking about. But a really good short film example of this is Nacho Serra's Aftermath. Uh, I don't think there's a single line of spoken dialogue in this half-hour-long short film. Uh, It takes place in a morgue. It's two characters that are, let's say, working on dead bodies. Uh, One goes into another room and begins to abuse this dead body. That's it. Sincerely, that's the whole film. I'm I'm not exaggerating. And uh, if that sounds intense or just crazy to you... Uh, you're right about both of those things. That's precisely the intention of it. But Nacho Serda's is not a dummy. This thing is directed in a really smart way, and the imagery that he chooses to show you is very deliberate and very chilling. Now, while this film isn't open to interpretation the same way that an Antichrist or a Serbian film is, that's really not the intention of it. The intention of it is to shock and to create a visceral reaction. And I should tell you, a lot of the time, this visceral reaction is a bodily reaction. If you see something happening to a body on the screen, your body may twitch in response. That is the intended response of many of these type of films, especially when we start getting more into body horror with entries like the guinea pig series which is arguably the greatest example of extreme cinema proper that I can think of not in that they're great films but in that there is truly no plot to these things Uh, many people would characterize them as quote unquote torture porn a term which frankly I hate but hey if you're gonna apply it to something I think the guinea pig series is honestly a pretty good thing to apply it to Uh, this is a series that started in Japan around 1985 uh, there are short films to start with, and it is really just scenes to show off special effects like cutting off limbs or cutting open stomachs and playing with guts. And that's really the whole thing. There's very little dialogue, and the dialogue that is in there is just explaining, like, this is pretty much what I'm going to do. Now, if you're sitting there and you're thinking to yourself, Dan, why? Like, why does this exist? You know, that's a really complicated answer that I think we're going to spend a lot of this podcast exploring. But I do have a quick story to justify the existence of the guinea pig series to you. Now, it was 1991. And another actor gave Charlie Sheen a copy of the second movie in the guinea pig series. This is a true story. Uh, It was called guinea pig flowers of flesh and blood. And Charlie Sheen watched it. And he thought, honest to God that he was watching a real snuff film. And he was terrified, and he called the FBI. This is 100% true. He called the FBI, to say, hey, I have this snuff film, and I need to report it. And the FBI told him, we're already investigating this. We're already talking to people in Japan because... Everyone thinks this is real. The filmmakers in Japan had been contacted multiple times by authorities and they had to say, yes, yes, this is just fake. It's all made up. Uh, now that may sound outrageous to you, but that's kind of the purpose of a lot of this filmmaking is to make you feel like you've stumbled upon something that you shouldn't be seeing. And I know it's immature, but to some degree, it could be thrilling to watch something so transgressive, and I understand that. Which kind of brings us into our next kind of extreme cinema, which is what I like to call the pseudo-snuff. Uh, In particular, when we're talking about this, I'm really thinking of Toetag Pictures. Shout out to Toetag Pictures. uh, Based in New Jersey, Fred Vogel. Also, shout out to Bill Zebub, who also makes stuff that kind of can be qualified as this sort of stuff. Uh, But Toetag Pictures really takes the cake in terms of making pseudo-snuff, which is exactly what it sounds like. This is found footage material, which is, you know, shot on video, you know, handheld camera of basically just various acts of violence and debauchery that... You could confuse with real because it's so shaky and so low quality that holy shit maybe this came from somewhere. Uh, It's a really, really specific niche and it's really hard to get into because a lot of the films are hard to watch. Not just because of the violent and vile content, but because the directing is really rough. I mean these are shaky, shaky cameras and low, low quality film. But for some people, that contributes to the overall experience of just, hey, I think I stumbled upon something that really feels real and genuine. And with August Underground, I will say there are some moments where that genuinely happens, although I think it's a little bit tough to kind of get through the full running time of each film. They are endurance tests on purpose. Uh, Which brings us to our last type of extreme cinema, which is controversial filmmaking, Uh, films that are made in controversial ways using controversial techniques, and knowing that is what makes them extreme. Uh, The holy grail example of films like this is, for better or for worse, Cannibal Holocaust, which we're definitely going to dig into in another episode. Uh, Infamously, Cannibal Holocaust depicts real scenes of animal violence, including a sea turtle scene, which I really wish I could erase from my mind, but unfortunately never can. Uh, The purpose of this is apparently to display the Uh, so-called violence of humans compared to the uh, native folks that they encounter in this film. Uh, Point made for sure, but really don't think it needed to be made that way. Uh, It was a different era of film, and it exists for all of us. Uh, And then, of course, there are the works of Lucifer Valentine, such as slaughtered vomit dolls uh that's gonna take a whole other episode to dissect but rest assured that is some controversial filmmaking there just in terms of what the actresses and actors uh go through yeah whole other episode there So we've been spending a whole episode talking about themes and concepts and not a whole lot about content and imagery, and there's a reason for that. A lot of these extreme cinema films, they really just have to be seen to be believed or even understood on certain levels. You know, I could sit here and talk about it for as long as I want, and you still won't understand exactly what I'm talking about until you see it. Also, I should mention that some of the most iconic images from these films would constitute major spoilers, and I really think that you should see these films before having them spoiled. That being said, those of you with bloodlust, I'm not going to leave you high and dry. We are going to move into our recurring segment for just a few memorable images from extreme cinema. It is time
1: for the Kill Corner.
0: Kill Corner. I I really, really love that. Okay, let's get into a few of them. Uh, a lot of these are going to be from Guinea Pig because I feel like spoilers for Guinea Pig don't really matter as much because they're just kind of curiosity pieces to begin with. Uh, one of my favorite out of the Guinea Pig series is Guinea Pig 3. Uh, it is called Guinea Pig 3, He Can Never Die. So the premise is this gentleman is attempting to kill himself and realizes that Nothing he do hurts him or harms him or causes him to die. So he tries to slit his wrists and the blood pours out and nothing happens and he starts playing with the wound. It's... Really gross, but that's not even my favorite. That's not even my favorite in the kill corner. So he wants to kill himself because his ex-lover is with some new partner, and he begins harassing this man in truly gruesome and horrifying ways, my favorite of which is when he slits his stomach open and starts throwing his guts at the new boyfriend. It's so gross, and the sound effects are like, it's so gross. Gross! I love it. Uh, next up here, we're going to talk about a newer guinea pig film. That's right, I didn't mention this in the main segment of the minisode, but the guinea pig series was discontinued in Japan uh, for reasons that we might get into in a new episode. Uh, however, it was revived uh, very recently in 2015 by an uh, American producer named Stephen Biro. Uh, there are a few films in the franchise now, one of the best of which is guinea pig, American guinea pig, sacrifice which is a really really interesting uh addition into the series in which a young man basically mutilates himself uh to appease uh, some archaic goddess it's really really gross and really gruesome and there are a few moments in there which definitely make this list uh the first off is the forehead drill Oh boy, that is exactly what it sounds like. This guy takes a power drill and just drills directly into his forehead. And I gotta say, something about American Guinea Pig Sacrifice that's really interesting is it really gives you close-ups of these scenes and they last what feels like forever, like minutes at a time. It's extremely gruesome. Um, Jeez, don't know how to talk about this. This film also has the most brutal just going to say it penis mutilation huh just going to let that hang in the air and move on from there <laughs> oh my god okay so moving on from there i also want to shout out in antichrist not going to spoil exactly what's happening here but it has one of the most brutal depictions of strangulation that I have ever seen because it shows the way that you're eyes change if you are truly strangled. They fill with blood, I believe. It is extremely hard to see. Uh, Very, very effective scene in that film, which is full of effective scenes. Uh, And then uh, to end, I really want to shout out one scene in Salo, which Salo is not really a movie with kills. I need to tell you that. It's graphic and shocking in other ways. But there is uh, one kill in which uh, one of these Captive children. Oh geez, to explain Salo in such a brief period of time. <laughs> Not even gonna get into it. One of these captive children, they're held captives by fascists, and uh is caught uh sleeping with a woman of color, uh and Before he gets shot to death in, like, kind of a firing squad way, he just holds up his fist in a resistance symbol, knowing that he is going to die, and gets gunned down. In a movie that is so devoid of hope, that is one moment of resistance which is incredibly memorable. So gonna end on that thank you all so much for listening to this episode if you have any questions about these films or if you'd like us to dive into them in more detail let me know on twitter or in comments or something like that or if you want to talk about these films more let's just uh grab a beer or something like that all right everybody thank you so much this is dan with spook squad signing out